Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, out of you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. His origin is from old days, from ancient days. We may not know a whole lot about the prophet Micah, but I will tell you this. In Micah's day, the other prophets, the false prophets who were around him, had become prophets of the national agenda. And what I mean by that is that they simply proclaimed whatever the king or the authorities that be would tell them to proclaim. Their message would be supportive of the king's policies, even if those were errant policies. These prophets would do this simply because they knew who was keeping their bellies filled. And they supported those who offered them money and food and all that they wanted. The other side of this was that they would also work to silence anyone who would speak the word of God, who would even offer even the slightest note of judgment that might come from God over Israel's sin, their oppression of the poor, their mistreatment of, of those who are weak, their disregard for justice. To be a prophet who would speak that would mean that you would be shouted down by a horde of false prophets who simply told you to sit down, be quiet, and shut up. These prophets would also go to the people of Israel and pacify them by saying, no judgment or devastation is near us. Nothing is going to happen to Israel. We are God's beloved. We are the children of Abraham. There will be no judgment for us. We're going to be fine. But Micah was a prophet who spoke differently. Micah was a prophet who said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and that he would continue to speak boldly and mightily. And may that be the same for us. Because you know how it goes. It's happened so many times, not just in ancient Israel, but all over the place in every corner of the world. Prophets of God have ended up becoming prophets of the national agenda. Times where, where people have spoken up on behalf of the church saying, yes, it's okay to go and mistreat the people of this country because they are heathen, pagan, unbelieving. So have at it. There are false prophets who have also, of course, held up the banner of racism saying the same thing, that those people are unbelieving, so they should not be treated as human people. These are representatives of the church, people who, who claim to know the Scripture and know to proclaim God's will, and yet these are the things that is so often said, not just in ancient times or in history, but yeah, even today. There's a billboard that used to have a, a disturbing message that was just on the outskirts of St. Louis near I-170. You saw this billboard, you noticed that in the top right corner, there was the words, make the gospel great again. A large picture of President Trump dominated the billboard. Below that, John 1.14 was quoted. You might know that. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I might have you triggered already because I said President Trump. <laughs> Or because, again, I'm talking about religion and politics. So I want to be clear on where this is going. As I mentioned before, this is not a critique of President Trump, the Republican, the Democrat Party, any party at all, or anyone's political agenda, or politicians. 
If I were to preach to politicians, I would need a room full of politicians, and they are not likely to listen anyway, so the message would go unheard. It'd be completely wasted. Spend a lot of time on these. I don't want to do that. Instead, I'm speaking more about how the church engages with politics, and for whoever might be on such a billboard, it's a disturbing sign, nonetheless. I also want to be clear, I've read several articles about this billboard, and no one seems to be able to link it to President Trump, his people, or even those who oppose President Trump. Nobody knows who put up the billboard. The advertising agency is protecting the confidentiality of their clients, which is their right to do. I should tell you that the name of the advertising agency is called Kremlin Advertising. I'm kidding. It's not. Um, it's not. Some of you got that. That's not the name of the advertising company. And when we look at this billboard, though, we see things that are disturbing, and that's more of what I want to talk about. So when you see a billboard like that, all kinds of questions come to mind. Let's say that, and again, no opinion on which, or prediction on which way things are going, but let's say, hypothetically, President Trump's policies fail, and you have this kind of endorsement coming from the church for him. What does that say about us? What does that say about our God? Or on the other hand, let's say his policies succeed. Wouldn't that just further add to the confusion that, that people have about how God is interacting in government and, and certain people? It's a bad situation either way with that kind of message surrounding an elected official. But it's not just on billboards where we find this kind of confusion. In fact, after any election, no matter, especially the more, the more intense and more important elections, you could walk in to certain churches around the country, and depending upon the election, it might vary from church to church, but you could walk in to a church in this country after an important and intense election, and you might hear from the pulpit something like this. So-and-so was elected. President Obama was elected. God has granted us a miracle. President Trump was elected. God has granted us a miracle. An election is not a miracle. It's an election. God works through these things for sure, but it's not divine intervention like Jesus healing a leper, or something like that. So maybe we're not putting up billboards, and maybe we're not hearing these things from the pulpit, but yet I would challenge each one of you, if you've ever found yourself in a heated political conversation, or just if you're wrestling with people in your heart that you know have different viewpoints from you, have you asked this question? They support that. How can they even be Christian? Okay, you guys are stonewalling me. The early service was like, yes, we have. And if they did, well, <laughs> I have too. I have too. So what do we do? We see images of Jesus draped in an American flag or a cross behind an American flag. And while these things sometimes simply mean that we are blessed as a nation, other times it presents a confusion between how God rules his church and how he rules through government. So let's talk about this false Jesus. The false Jesus, the national patriot. The national patriot, this false Christ, he rules through bills and policy and laws that are passed. Political progress. Those who believe in this false Christ are comforted by God's presence among them whenever they see their side winning. It's not unlike last week when we talked about Jesus, the social justice warrior. There are those who, who feel God's presence among them whenever progress is being made over social issues. 
In both cases, the word and sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the way in which we receive God's message to us, the way in which we receive his forgiveness of sins, are conveniently swept away so that we can focus on things that we control. This false Jesus is a sanctifier of your political beliefs, whatever they might be. In other words, whenever you are holding a certain political opinion, Jesus is on your side. Jesus, the national patriot, agrees with you, and his word backs you up. Your political opinion is without flaw. You have compassion for all and justice for all. Jesus, the national patriot, supports you in your perfect opinions. This Jesus, the national patriot, tends to see all things as a theocracy, and that kind of takes us back to the billboard, doesn't it? Where you see a, a, a verse that is meant to apply only to Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And is applied instead to an elected official. In other words, those who are in elected offices, or at least those that we want in elected offices, are God's people and God is directly ruling through them. In the church, though, we teach about two realms. Hopefully this helps our confusion. There's two realms. There's the left-hand realm. There's the right-hand realm. I'm doing this on my left and my right. I recognize that this is your right. All right, so I'm over here on the left-hand realm. And in this realm, God rules through governing authorities. In this right-hand realm, God rules through the authority to forgive sins. In this left-hand realm, God affects that authority through government by, yes, uh, upholding leaders, giving them authority to rule over people. And in this right-hand realm, God affects his authority through baptisms, repentance, the Lord's Supper, the forgiveness of sins, salvation. Over here, the ultimate mission that God is working for is to keep people safe. That's, after all, what government is traditionally meant to do. Keep people safe from harm, protect human lives and property, maintain the boundaries that God has established for the nations. Over here, God's mission is that the gospel will be preached in all corners of the earth. And now here's the thing about these two realms. We, as Christians, live in both all the time, no matter where we are. Even here we sit, we happen to be under the authority of the city of Gainesville, Hall County, the state of Georgia, the United States of America. And at the same time, we are a part of that right-hand realm we as believers hear Christ's authority to forgive sins and receive his forgiveness through word and sacrament. We are in both all the time. In one hand, we are called to be active in government. We are called to work on behalf of those who are, do not have a voice, those who are oppressed, to, to lobby politicians, to cast our votes, to, to be on the side of justice, to, to proclaim or to see that the God-pleasing policies are put in place. In this realm, we're going to be actively serving our neighbor who we vote on behalf of, who we serve for. You can look at it like this. In this realm, we are the mouth of God in the sense that we proclaim God's word. In this realm, over here, we are the hands and feet to serve Jesus and to back up with action all who we say we are for. These are the two realms, the left hand and the right hand. The right hand is always greater. The right hand keeps our, our perspective clear that we have a king in Jesus Christ. If we suffer political defeat, 
if we lose rights or privileges, we still stand forward in boldness and in hope, and we fear nothing because Jesus will return. Jesus will not let his church be overcome by anything, least of all, politics. So we maintain that perspective as we go forward. But you know what happens, where, where sometimes the church still gets entangled in politics and it gets messy and it damages our witness and our confession of faith to the world, so what do we do? We'll offer a few ideas for us here. One is, yeah, if you've got a candidate that you like, be, vo be vocal about that candidate. Speak up about the good things that that candidate is going to do. Try to persuade others to vote for that candidate. Do all of that. But if that candidate should fail you, or if his policies should fail, or if his integrity should fail, have the integrity yourself to say that that was sin and that that wasn't right and to call political leaders around you to repentance. You should also have the integrity then to recognize that there is no political party that isn't going to put forward a sinful policy every now and then. It's going to happen. The church can't even get away with gathering together without sin. So definitely political parties can't either. So we should not be so closely associated that, we, that it's seen that God is endorsing everything. We should have the integrity to say that this is good according to God's word, and this we need to repent on. And finally, the church is so often seen grasping onto the coattails of political leaders, hoping to get power for themselves. And that may not be what you do. But being aware of that then, then all the more we should be serving those we are speaking up on behalf of. Again, on one side were the mouth, on the other side were the hands and feet. But why does it happen? Why does it happen so often that the church gets entangled in politics? Why, why does that go on? And I'll tell you, it's because we are afraid. We see changes that are happening in our nation, and they terrify us. We look out, and it's on both ends of the spectrum. On one side, you see extreme sinful behavior being normalized, and that sinful behavior also gaining political support. It could be something like transgenderism, homosexuality, or abortion, or it could also be abusive behavior towards women or racism. And those things should frighten us. And as a father of four kids, I look out and I wonder how things are going to go myself. And it, if I'm honest about it, there are times where it makes me a little bit of afraid. We look around and we see reforms that happen that might make it very difficult for a child to feel confident in their faith going to school. Religion might be taught out of school to the point that, well, there's no place for believing in Jesus. Completely. We look around the world, around our nation, and we see these things going on. And we recognize that at the same time, all of this is happening. The church is losing money, influence, power, and people by the droves. And we wonder what's going to happen when that voice disappears. We have one generation that's holding on, doing its best, while completely distrusting the other generation. We have the other generation looking up, saying, this is hypocritical and this isn't working. We see in the midst of that confusion the church trying to find its way. Shouldn't it be better? Shouldn't there be more? But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
shall come forth for me, a ruler of Israel. In a nation where almost every prophet in Israel had become a prophet of the national agenda, God looked at this nation that was on the brink of collapse. Babylon was coming to destroy them, conquer them, overthrow them, and beat them down. And in this dying nation, in its crisis state, where religion seems to be failing completely, God looks at the smallest, weakest, most forgotten part of it, Bethlehem. He says, there, from there, I will raise up a ruler there, in that small, forgotten place, I will make my power known. This king who would come would be born in the same city as King David, the greatest Old Testament king. But he would not just be another David coming out of Bethlehem. He would be a greater David. This David would gather all the scattered tribes of Israel to himself, and then also the nations would come together under him. We Though we see things shrinking around us, remember that promise. As the church loses its voice, as it is oftentimes confused and it loses its way, even, God loves the weak and the small. To them and to you, he has given his mightiest promises. Jesus has been born for you, given over to you. So as we look out at our nation, we wonder, will God judge America? Oh, yes. Yes, he will. As he will judge every nation for all of its sins. But does God love America? Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he most definitely does. Not only loves America, but he loves Canada because they've never done anything offensive at all, so why not? He loves socialist countries, anti-Christian countries, and one way you could say a nation is godless and that it is turning against the word of God and kicking out Christianity left and right. But in another way, you have to look at what Jesus said, the risen Savior who had bore the burden of governments on his shoulders, died for even national sins. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them everything I have commanded. So we press on in hope, knowing that we are citizens of the right-hand realm, the kingdom of God. Even as things shrink, we boldly profess, call to repentance, and interact with politics with integrity. Because while a nation might do everything it can to rob the church of its power, God never let the church be without his power, his son, Jesus Christ.